Those that don't know what that means, talk to Josh. <laughs> so um, it's nice just to get that out there because then those yuck words are done. It's out, it's sorted. But um, we really do want to be honest. We don't want to make light of what the scriptures have to say. The Bible says this. It says the marriage bed is to be honored by all. Meaning marriage, meaning the intimacy between husband and wife is meant to be honored by all. It's not something that gets thrown around, spoken around over, over a drink, um, this way and that way. It's something that is to be honored and to be valued. And actually what we're going to find out is that the biblical worldview of sexuality actually has a very high view of the body and a very high view of sex. It's not, it's not um, a diminished view of what God wants to say about sexuality and about sex in particular, but actually a very high view. We might even get into the last, last week, start to talk about how do you choose a marriage partner? How do you, what do you look for in a marriage partner? And maybe a session on singleness. What, what is it? How do, we, how do we live out our singleness for the glory of God? So this is not meant to be for married or singles. It's meant to be for everybody. And whatever's said about marriage and whatever's said to singles, both those groups can learn. So I really do trust that this is going to be helpful for us going forward. This week is going to be very much, Matt's going to come and give us some tips around the Q&A. But really this week is about setting the platform. It's about giving context to why this is important. It's about giving context to what you actually believe right now. Well, what the world is asking you to believe. And so this evening is going to be a little bit like walk, working through a story that the world, that cultures told us and asked us to believe, and then contrasting that to the biblical story which starts in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. So really tonight is going to be working through that, and then next week we'll start to get into the nuts and bolts around what sexuality is, how it works, what God has said what all these things mean, etc., etc. So we'll begin to unpack all of those things next week. But along the way, we want questions, and we want to even we want to have time so that actually we can have questions and answers on the night, and maybe even have breakaway sessions if that's if that's going to be helpful, depending on the context and what we're talking about. So, so really, this is we'd love this to be more conversational than not. Although tonight is going to be pretty much me talking, but. Hopefully you're having some good questions to try and remember there's no question is a stupid question. Everybody's asking the same question. They're just too scared to ask it. So don't be scared to ask it. And, um, but one of the ways that you can ask questions is, as Matt will explain. Awesome. So one of the ways you can ask questions is through our interactive Q&A platform called slido.com. So this is the only other reason other than notes that you can be on your phones in the session. Um, and what it is, if you log in on your internet browser to slido.com and then you enter that 4032620 as the event code, you can, you're able to log in and actually ask questions completely anonymously. Um, and they pop up and it's all linked under the same event code. And then what you can do is you can even scroll through the questions that have already been asked and you can like those questions and those will be pushed to the top of the polls. And then, yeah, that, that's such a cool tool to use during this whole series. Uh, and yeah, there'll be a new one every week. So yeah, awesome anonymous question platform. And then what's nice about that is that every week or we'll... As you like questions, those will kind of filter to the top. So we'll fi eventually find the top four or five questions that are being asked, and we'll endeavor to get into those and ask those. Um, we have many people in this church that have had marriages for a long time. We've had many people in this church that have been single for a long time and then have got married in their later years. And so we, in the church, in the community of God, is a full spectrum of every kind of person that you can think of. That's the wonder of, 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 the, of, the, of the community of God. And so I really would like you to participate in that. Please do. Sit and ask. One of the great things around, particularly around sexuality, 
You know, there's it's a Brené Brown saying: shame cannot be, uh, shame cannot stand being shared. Shame cannot stand being shared. As soon as you share, shame goes. Leave. And so, one of the ways of getting free sexually is to talk to somebody about these things. And so often, friends, you know, you know, when you do something wrong, it's much easier to talk to your brother than to talk to your father. You know that, eh? So if you do something wrong, you can tell uh, my kids do that. Cammy does something wrong, tell Matthew or Natalie. But coming to me, not so easy. Because I'm somebody in authority. Don't just, don't just share these things with your brothers. Share these things with your fathers and mothers. It sets you free. Anyway, we're going to, that's kind of for free. PG didn't expect to say that. But we're going we're gonna to jump into this now. So what I want to talk about this evening is the body-person dichotomy. And uh, if you really want to delve into this book nerd kind of way, read Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. Absolutely best I've ever read. So enlightening, so like, like just the pennies dropping all the time around this view. And she kind of goes right through the, this, this, this process, the dichotomy that's that's developed over time in our modern age. And so part of this is the two big ideas that I want to speak about tonight is personhood and purpose. If you don't understand those things, or if you get sold the, the, the stories that are not from the Bible on those things, you begin to have a wrong view of sexuality, and particularly of your body. This is absolutely key. And this is absolutely key because... What Christians have to say and how they outwork their sexuality today in particular is probably one of the most prophetic statements of our time. If you're working with in, a, in an office with people and they find out that you're not sleeping with your girlfriend or you're not living with your boyfriend and you're waiting until you get married, the common line is, oh, you're one of the religious ones. The common, the common idea is, well, you're a bit weird. And it's an incredible thing when you say, no, we don't do that. We only do this. Or we, 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 we saving ourselves until we get married. What an incredible conversation starter is if you're free and, and not embarrassed by it. What happens is many people treat morality as a set of rules. And I want to say to you, morality is not a set of rules. It's the outworking of a story. I don't want to give you rules. I don't want to say do this and don't do this, but I want to say why you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that so that you can be part of the story that God is telling. Because that is what a prophetic people do. And we are prophetic people. We begin to live out the future in advance of the future. And as we get, as the time get dark and dark, it seems like what it means to be prophetic means becomes simpler and simpler. Like marry one wife becomes prophetic. Be faithful to your wife becomes prophetic. When that in days past was just accepted and normalized. One thing we've got to understand around a moral system, it rests on a worldview. So tonight I want to give you a new worldview compared to the one that we've been given. In the media, on social media, through our friends, through all sorts of avenues. Every decision we make, we're not just deciding what we want to do. We're expressing a view of the purpose of human life. The decision that you make, the reason why you don't sleep with your, your girlfriend is you're expressing a view of the way humanity is put together and expressing a view of human life. It's not because you shouldn't do it. You can do whatever you want with your body. Adam thought that as well. Jesus, God said to him, you can eat from any tree of the garden except this one. Don't eat this. Remember this. We're not fine. We, we haven't got a killjoy father in heaven. We've got a God and a father who has a big yes and a small no. One tree don't eat, the rest you can eat. And he says that if, but if you eat of that tree, you will, you will certainly die. I don't think Adam believed he would actually die. You ate the, you ate the apple. Happened to. 
But the next thing, God is walking in the cool of the day and he's taking cover and he's hiding himself with figs, covering himself with figs. You see, he didn't physically die. He spiritually began to die. Suddenly shame entered his heart. Nakedness. He realized he was naked. And isn't it incredible? He didn't physically die, but his children end up killing each other. God's got a big yes and small no. Listen to the small no's of God so that we can live in the big yes of what God There's a worldview behind every moral life. Tonight I want to talk about your worldview. If you do not get your worldview right, you're going to try to live this out. White knuckled, obeying the rules. It doesn't work. You've got to have a revelation of what God has in his heart, which is you in a story that he's telling and he's putting redemption into the world through you. So let's have a look at Genesis chapter 2. Everything starts in Genesis. Everything goes back to Genesis. So you can find every doctrine and every truth in the first five books of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. God says to Adam and Eve, be blessed, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue. Subdue means, doesn't mean dominate and crush the earth. It means bring order out of chaos like I did in the garden. God, Eden means pleasure, the garden of my pleasure, the place of my pleasure. Everything we do is from a place of our pleasure, from God's pleasure. We live from a place of God's pleasure in Christ. And then it goes on in chapter, in chapter 2, you have a different account of creation of Adam. In verse 4 it says this, this is the account of chapter 2 verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth and they were created when the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Verse 7, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. A man, male, from the dust of the ground. What we're going to learn tonight is what you do with your body. Your biology is important. He created a male and put him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, scooped up the dust, formed him, created him, and then breathed the living breath of God into him and became a living being. Without the breath of God, we're not living beings. One day when we die, the life, the Bible says when we live today, the life is in the blood. But in that day, life will be by the Spirit. Completely different mechanism, a different uh, operating system will kick in when we go are in glory with Father one day. Now the, Lord, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Work it means to, to tend it, to cultivate it, to serve it. And, then to, and to work it, that means, and then to take care of it was to protect it and to guard it and to oversee it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you, for when you... When you eat of it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. Remember I said personhood and purpose. This is where purpose enters the garden. Not good for the man to be alone. He did not say that because Adam was lonely. Adam was not lonely. Adam was walking with the Father. Intimate with God. Cooling in the, walking in the cool of the day was not because he was lonely. I said, tell you why I know that. Because the next line says, I will make a helper suitable for him. So you needed to add something to Adam because he needed help. What did he need help with? He needed help to tend the garden and to take care of it. And to extend the bounds of that garden so eventually the whole earth would be filled with the world. Not just the garden of his pleasure, but the earth, the globe of his pleasure. So he forms a woman. Now the Lord God, sorry, verse 19, now the God had formed out of the garden all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. 
And whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Remember, Adam was told, be fruitful, multiply. You know what masturbation, you know what pornography is? Trying to multiply by yourself. Not helpful. You ever try to do that? You can't multiply by yourself. You need this suitable which means like but different person to come alongside you. Human, like, but completely different to you, woman. And he says this. And he, no super help of us. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took the man's rib, one of the man's ribs and closed the place with flesh. Adam was formed from the, from the dust of the ground, but Eve was formed from the side of Adam. When it says a rib there, it actually means it was, he looked, it, it's more than just like, well, he found a rib and took it out. The word is more like he took half of them away. I mean, it's quite a picture to see Adam there, like cut and pop, while God's working on this other human being. And then he, the Lord God made the woman from the rib, from his side, and he brought her to them. Here we are. Adam, God didn't force Eve on Adam. God didn't say, listen, there she is. You've only got one, two. He brought it to the man. Then Adam said, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my bone. She shall be called woman, for she is taken. See this idea of splitting man and woman, this Adam being split in half and God creating Eve was to, so that they would never forget that the purpose they were put together was for oneness. To get a job done that they can't do without each other. Tend the garden and take care of them. In verse 24 it says, this is why. This is why. What do you mean this is why? Man will leave his father and mother's united to his wife. They will become one flesh. Adam and his wife are both naked. So. Adam was created for purpose. Eve was given to him for purpose. Together in their oneness, they were created to be purposeful. Helper means, let me just clarify this. We'll probably get into it later. But helper doesn't mean servant. Eve is not Adam's servant. Eve is not Adam's doormat. Eve is not given to him like an assistant. Not I'm going to give you a secretary. I'm going to give you somebody that can just do the admin for you. No, no, no. That word helper is the same word that is used of God with Israel when they're facing an enemy. God says, I will be your helper. I will be your great help in time. Meaning, if I don't come, you're done. If I don't help you, you're finished. It's like a God word. So God takes this God man, creates a God woman, and puts them back together again so that they can fill God's And you see this, a man will leave his, his father's house, be united, and they'll become one thing. They were naked and had no shame. Some of you have heard me say this before. I'll say it again. But we're going to get into the, the counterfeit of what this story is telling. You notice a little bit further down, Adam and Adam, the, 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 the serpent comes to Eve and, she, and says, This is surely you will not serve me. Why don't you have a bite of this? Eve has a bite, and she gives it to the man who says who was with her, silence of Adam. And he also took a bite. Isn't it incredible? Through a bodily function, eating, they fell spiritually. And the, you see, what you do with your body matters emotionally and spiritually 
Maleskut. It wasn't like they entered a dark room that was demonically filled with satanic rituals. She ate. She ate something. And the next thing, everything changed. Do you see up front how physical what you do with your body matters spiritually? Right from then on going forward, that's the case. You kill somebody physically, the blood cries out to God spiritually. You go and you bow down before idols physically, spiritually it has ramification. You cannot separate body and spirit, body and soul. It's one integrated whole. That's who we are as human beings. This is absolutely, absolutely important. When I get into the story that culture is telling, remember these points. Get back to for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father's house, be united to his wife, become one flesh, physically, and that we're naked without. Notice the order thing. Man, because Adam was given the charge, tend and take care of the man leaves his mother and father's house because in that house he was tending and taking care of a portion of the God. God says we need to multiply this. Man, new man, young man, leave my house and start your own portion. He's united. He leaves. He's united to his wife. It's called covenantal commitment. When you're so irrevo irrevocably one that you can't become more one. That in fact, if you, if you, if you try to tear each other apart, bits of you are left on the other. It's like taking two pieces of blue paper that are stuck together and then trying to separate them. Yeah. When you separate them, there's bits of paper on each. That kind of united. Leave. Be united. Covenantal relationship. Become one flesh. Become as one as you possibly can, not only spiritually and emotionally, but physically, because you fit together. You fit together biologically, physically. You are made to be intimate. It's the highest form of intimacy that you can find physically. Then I have a make. Friends, when you mess that order up, and you become one flesh, before you united in covenantal relations, what happens? End up with nakedness. Which it's truth. It's truth that I can tell you every single time. I don't know how many people we've, we've married over 120, 130 couples. Counseled, I don't know how many. And Paul asked, the and Melindy, asked them. It's exactly the same all the time. What you do with your body before you're married and after you're married absolutely important. Part of the story God is beginning to unfold. That's it up front. What I want to do now is I want to talk to you about this thing called personhood theory. Who's heard of that before? Everybody's up there. Maybe not. A few, one or two. It's a thing. It's a thing. You don't know it by that name, but you'll know it because you'll experience. You'll have experienced it. And in this personhood theory, the, the theory goes like this is that my body and my, my, my body, there's, there's scientific facts, which is my body, and then there's my values, which is my morality, are completely separated. My personhood, who I am, 
which is subjective, is separate to my body, which is just objective. Fact. And so actually what happens is, I'm going to give you the big idea, is what you do with your body doesn't matter. You can do anything you like with your body, but it's not, because it doesn't affect your personhood. I want to tell you how that came about, show you why it's there, to begin to dispel that myth. Put us back into what God had for us. Put us back into So here we go. Truth, by the way, just... Truth is not... Um, like when, we, when we talk about truth from the Bible or truth, truth from the pulpit, it's not like, well, that's a religious view of truth. That's not truth. Truth, truth works. Truth is real life. So if you say this is the truth, but the outworking of that, it actually doesn't materialize, it doesn't actually work, then it's not true. You've got to understand that about truth. Truth is knowable. Truth, truth, truth works. It's real life. If the truth is this, do not put your hand on a hot stove. You can think now that's not really true. But when you put your hand on a hot stove, you burn yourself. Truth. That's what truth does. It works. So what happens in the 1600s and the 1700s in the, in the age of reason and enlightenment? The Renaissance, the new birth. Mind and science comes to the fore. And so reliable knowledge is only possible through empirical, testable, scientific facts. Science was going to save humanity. We just need to get educated, get the nation, get the, get the, 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 the globe educated, and we'll become utopia. Where's the hope? The problem with that is, what do you do with the things that can't be measured in the test tube? Like moral truth. What do you do with it? What do you do with moral truth? You see, morality then doesn't, um, it doesn't uh, uh, qualify as objective truth. Morality goes into personal feelings as subjective. It's, it's personal feelings and preferences. So the idea then at the time was you just separate them. And this goes to my first slide. Thanks. Uh, Truth gets separated. Science, public, the bottom, the lower story is public. It's public truth. It's like, it's like you think you're going to decolonize maths. You can't. Two plus two equals two. It doesn't matter which continent you are in. Four. Just testing. Be with you listening. It's public truth. Gravity works everywhere. Try it out. See what happens. It's subjective. It's got nothing to do with whether it about me. It's subjective. I, it happens anyway. Whether you believe it or not, gravity exists. All you've got to do is climb up onto the thing there and jump off and see what happens. See if gravity works. It's subjective. Even if you don't think it works, it works. And it's valid for everybody. Lower story. Upper story, theology and morality, it's private, it's subjective, and it's relativistic. It's dependent on you. Truth is divided. The problem is when you start dividing truth, because remember, moral truth still is real. It works if it's truth. Why it's important to know what truth is. works. Dallin Willard has a great book on truth and what truth means. At the same time, in the academic world, there's this thing called the fact-value split. The fact-value split looks like this. Thanks, Brad. Facts and values. And you'll see how those two things work together. Science and values theology and morality, and facts and values. So in the academic world, this is the thing that's going on 
at the time. And facts are, again, pub uh, public, objective, valid, and they're measured. Facts are facts. You can't change the facts. Values, again, are private, subjective, and relativistic, just as the, just as the theology and morality was. Get this, see how these things work together. So it's easy to move from theology and morality versus science to values and facts. They're happening at the same time. And at this point in history, there's a wrestle. Oh, listen, I am butchering the, the, the I'm just summarizing this. So right through history, there's this wrestle between what is truth. Is it facts or is it values or is it both? And how do you put those three, how do you put those things together? Remember in Genesis, those two things are together. They're not separated. But the wrestle, and then what happens in the world that we have a, we have a thing called postmodernism. That's today's kind of enlightened thinking in which Postmodernism is the upper story, and in the upper story, even facts and science are mental constructs. So then you can decolonize maths. It's like uh, they're not, it just depends. Modernism, when I, when I talk about the modern world, again, this is quite deep. When I talk about the modern world, I'm talking about that 16th, 17th century. It's modern, it's the modern era. It's the modern era where enlightenment and rational thinking was the thing that was the God of the day. Facts and science, empiricism, and a whole bunch of rationalism and materialism and naturalism, all those isms. And these things are fighting against each other. It's like the bottom half is fighting the top half altogether. Which is truth? What is truth? Which truth is going to trump other? In postmodern era, um, it was my perceived kind of thought would trump facts and there's this, there's this wrestle between the two of them. And obviously in this, you've got a growing division in every area of thought along these lines. So you don't know you're in it. Remember, you're in a stream. You think you're paddling your own canoe, but you're moving along. You think you, you're generating the power, but you're not. It's like sitting at the back, at back line and if you wait for too long, next thing you're a K out and you think, how did I get you? You're in a current. It's the world culture. It's what we grow up. It's what we get birthed into. It's the thinking of the day that we all kind of are part of. And it leads to this question. What is the right way to treat people? How do you treat people? Morality. You see, then it asks the question, well, it depends. What does it mean to be human? So when you start getting into this dichotomy, this, this dualism, you start to ask these questions and you think, hang on, Stan, where are you going with this? See, what happens is your, your, your morality, what you think of your morality is so connected to your anthropology, what you think about what it is to be human. It's so important, this, guys. If you understand this, if you can just get a little bit of this, You'll start to be able to, from first principles, form your own way around your sexuality. In fact, so many of the controversial issues of our day is around this concept of the human being and how this thing works together, these two, this, the, this kind of intangible moral values and the very scientific measured facts. Which trumps what? What trumps what? How does this thing figure itself out? And what happened, friends, is that very quickly has morphed into today's thing, which assumes the body or the person is split. So your body is fact, is science. You can measure if you've got a virus. You can measure if you're sick. You can measure heart rates, you can measure blood, blood flows, you can, it's fact. But your values are in the upper story. So what happens is now you've got human beings that are facts, but there's this upper half that's, that's subjective. It's what you feel. It's my truth. It's not that truth. 
It's subjective. Morality becomes subjective. Slowly but surely, this is, your body is treated separate from your personhood. Who you are as a person, that's what you say you are, but your body is separate to that because that's a fact, that's science. It's separated. Normally when we use the phrase human being to mean the same thing, it means the same thing as person. But what happens in a, in a culture of thought of today, in the world that we're living in today, they don't mean the same thing. In 1973, an earthquake took place in the spiritual realm. It was Roe versus Wade. And in Roe versus Wade, the abortion decision, this is what happened. It ruled that even though the baby in the womb was a human, Listen to this, lower part, lower story. Even though the baby was considered a human from conception, it was not a person, upper story. So it could be aborted. In that one decision, the world shook. It separated hum uh, humanity, human, a human being from their personhood. Friends, that is huge, 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 huge. So what it means is this. At the early stages, a fetus, they don't call it a baby, a fetus, it's just a fetus, is in the lower story. It's thought to have no moral standing and then therefore doesn't warrant legal protection because it's just a fetus. But at some later stage, at some undefined point in time, it jumps up into the upper story and becomes a person. And that's defined in terms of its cognitive, functional, conscious self-awareness. And only then does it get some legal standing and protection. Right now, friends, right now, there's a, there's a docket in the United States Supreme Court that three days after birth, you can abort a baby. Because it's only after birth that you can see whether there were some defective things that you didn't know about. So they want to keep it open. But if you've got this thing that it's not a person because it's just a baby, I mean, what the hell does it know? It's just parking off. It's just existing. If you've got this separated thing that your, your personhood, who you are, your consciousness, who you are, your spirit, your emotional makeup is separate to your body, it's very possible to think that. That's why this is so incredibly important. And this is what is called personhood theory. This is what personhood theory is. It's separating the person to the body and their values and morality. Separating a person from their body to their cognitive conscious ability to think and reason. The problem is this has ramifications everywhere. In every single major, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, a big uh, controversial thing that we've got go on. This is the issue. Euthanasia. The body is alive, but the person is not conscious or cognitive. Surely then you can just kill them if you go with the abortion argument. Same idea. And they're pushing towards that. You see, the value of the human being as a together oneness of spirit and body and physicality and emotion is so important to the story that God is telling. What you do with your body is important. How you treat your body, what you do with your body is important in the story of God. Remember Aif? She put into her body an apple and she fell spiritually. It's very important, these things, friends. But you see, a biblical view is different. It has a teleo, it's called teleo, teleological view. It's a, that's a big word for saying purpose. Teleos means purpose or goal. So the, 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 the Bible hasn't got this dualism. The Bible has this idea that you were created for purpose and with purpose. Creation was created with purpose. A wing was given so that it could fly. 
A leg was given so that you could run. A fin was given so that you could swim. Each part and every part of an, every organ is a given, is adapted and given to others in a coordinated fashion to direct you towards your purpose. There's no part of who you are that is not given to you by God to be integrated to each other. That's why, friends, when you get spiritually de uh, depressed, you so often get physically sick. That's why when you take care of your physical health, you so often feel closer to God. You find that, I find it, I certainly find when I get physically, when I'm physically in my disciplines, I find my spiritual disciplines easier. It's all interconnected. It's so important. This is the basis from which we're going to talk about all sorts of sexuality and things as we go forward. In a purpose-driven view, there's no dichotomy between body and person. They are one united being. He was a body. Adam was fashioned out of the earth into a body. And God breathed his breath into him and he became a living being. As the two came together, that's what a living being is. It's not two separate things. If Roe versus Wade was a, a major shockwave into the earth at, the, at its time, something else happened before then what was like a mega titanic earthquake. That literally shifted people's thinking profoundly. Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, published in 1859. And the two big ideas of Charles Darwin, friends, are this. Random variations and natural selection. And both were proposed to expressly eliminate plan or purpose. The, the, what that did, it robbed humanity of plan and purpose. You were just random and you were naturally selected the fittest survived. It wasn't, it wasn't you were born with a purpose even though you were weak or deformed. Maybe you were born with no legs. Natural selection means you die. But God's plan says, no, you live because I've got a purpose for you. Human, human beings have intrinsic value no matter how well put together they are. And his idea was that nature now is the set of random events and natural selection. And the plan of God, the teleos of God is not in there. This was profoundly shook. You see, as soon as you, at the, at the fall, friends, heaven and earth were separated. Man and woman were separated. Human beings and creation were separated. These separations happened. And this was another separation from the purpose and plan of God that happened through scientific Understanding. Stan, what has this got to do with sexuality? Good question. Well, you see, the human being is part, human body is part of nature. The body has no intrinsic purpose built in by God. If the body has no intrinsic purpose built in by God, then what, with, what you do with your body is not important, friends. The, the fact that a man is born with a penis and the woman a vagina is of no real value. There's no plan or purpose with that. It's random. You separate your body and personhood. You can be what you want. You can choose your gender. Even though your body says something else. Because my body is not my reality. What I feel is my reality. And there's all sorts of gender dysphorias and all sorts of real issues that people wrestle with in these things. But friends, we've got to get back to what the Bible says about how we've been put back together and step away from the world and how we, the world says that we've been put together. You see, in a two-story worldview, which leads to my next one, thanks Brad, We have this thing called hookup culture. And hookup can mean holding hands, a kiss to sleeping with somebody the first time you've met them for five minutes. 
See, in this two-story worldview, your physical and your personal are completely separate. A sexual relationship has nothing to do with my emotional relationship. This is, the, this is the, same, the same idea. See those separations? This is the same one now carrying through into sexuality. What you do with your body does not have any connection with who you are as a whole person. Mental and emotional, it's got nothing to do with it. This is subjective, this is objective. Sex is purely physical and it's separate from love. You see, in hookup culture, partners are referred to friends with, with benefits. It's a bit ironic because you're not actually friends because you hardly know each other. And a benefit that you have, I tell you what, the data is overwhelming, friends, and you know it for those that have lived in this life. It's not fulfilling and it's desperately damaging to your emotional health. Because you can't just separate yourself when God has put you together like that. You can't just undo creation. You just can't undo God's plan and purpose in putting human beings together. The New York Times says this. You just keep it purely sexual, and that way people don't have mixed expectations and no one gets hurt. Keep it purely sexual, and then there's no expectations, and it's just, it's just purely physical. It's purely sexual. Friends, you see how we've got there got here from the progression it's so desperately damaging friends in hookup culture having sex is no big deal it's just a release it's just a release it's just a physical thing in hookup culture it glamorizes impersonal sex but giving no clue to what it takes to build a real relationship which means dinner and a conversation, not sex. So it's damaging all the habits and the, the relational skills that you're meant to, to, to learn as you pursue a husband or a, a wife or, or pursued by a man or begin to get to know each other. All those things are messed up in that very moment. In hookup culture, you turn off everything except your body. Somebody said this, it's a piece of body touching another piece of body. It's existentially meaningless. The problem is it's not. Because there are a lot of broken people out there. And then once you're on the, re on the wheel, you just think you need more. You, you've become addicted to sex. You become addicted to this thing. Hormones are released, friends, in a woman's body when you are having sex. They call it the attachment hormone. It's the same hormone that is released when a, when a mother is breastfeeding a baby. I'll get into it next week. It's the same hormone. It's like your body physically now wants to bond with this person. And so you do, even though you think you don't. And you do that over and over again, and every time you do that, you take out bite out of the apple that God created that was you. Hookup culture teaches you not to recognize somebody's personhood. It teaches you not to recognize who they are, who their dreams are, what their dreams are, and how you can be a benefit to those dreams. It teaches you that it's just about you and you having your release. It's not love, which is giving. It's selfish. It's taking. And every time you have sex, the little piece of yourself is given away. God designed us like that. 
That's why divorce is so unbelievably painful. Even if you've got a wife that you can't stand, it's still unbelievably painful. Spouse, husband or wife. Because when God puts you together, let man not separate. And when you do, it's painful. But why get married? It's just a piece of paper. Talk about that. Because it's not just a piece of paper. We'll dispel some of the myths and what you're actually saying by. And ladies, it's normally the guy that's like, no, it's just a piece of paper. Not always, but generally speaking. Basically what he's saying is you're not valuable enough to me to sign the piece of paper. Flip and run a mile from that oak. He's a chop. All he's doing is taking another bite out of you. You see, the biblical worldview is a sexuality that's integrated into the total person. That is, that is teleological, that has got plan and purpose attached to it. And God put us together for plan and purpose. Human beings are not like the animals. Even though we sometimes act like animals. We're not like animals. We're created in the image of God. And even though we've fallen and we've been disfigured and we've broken and we've, we're still created in the image of God and so we bear something of the image of God. And when Jesus comes back into our life, he restores all the cracks with gold and he makes us more valuable than what you ever were before. And he says, now this is my plan and purpose. Now walk in it. Not just your sexuality, everything. The most complete an intimate physical union is meant to be expressed, love-making. The most complete and intimate physical union is meant to be expressed in the most complete and intimate personal union in marriage. Leave his mother and father, be united to his wife. They'll become one flesh, and they were naked and had no shame. God wants to heal some of you to get you back to that place. And someone, some of you need to just hear these things again to remind and not to give away. Don't let some guy take a bite out of you. And then we're going to ask the question, yeah, but what is taking a bite? Is it penetrative sex? How low should we go? Get my drift. <laughs> Friends, biblical morality has purpose and plan in it. That is the truth. If you violate the truth, you will certainly die in some way. We have Jesus come in the flesh. Your body was of such great value to God that Jesus, that God had to come in a body. If your body was of no value, Jesus would have just come by his spirit. And one day you'll be raised in a resurrection body. Your body's valuable. What you do with it is important. The purpose of sex and your sexuality is to express the one flesh covenantal bond of marriage. Over these next few weeks, people are going to get set free. And ladies... One day you're going to get married. What are you going to give to your husband?
Men, what are you going to give to your wife? You get to choose. But unless you know the purpose of God, the plan of God, who you are and whose you are, instead of bowing to the culture that says it doesn't matter what you do with your body, as long as you, it's, it's not your real self, we'll always end up presenting something that looks like this to our husbands or wives rather than the completed plan of God that looks like this. What Jesus has come to do is to live the life that you could never live and to die the death that you should have died so that you can be whole again when you get married. That's the plan of God. That's the redemptive purpose of God. Remember, friends, who you are and whose you are. Your personhood is an integrated whole. Your personhood is an integrated whole. What you do with your body is important. You cannot cut pieces of it off and think you're going to get whole. And your purpose, it says in Psalm 139, God had a purpose for you, and he clothed that purpose with DNA so that you could fill the letters written in the book, the lines written in the book. The DNA that you have, your heart, your skin color, the size of your ears, the size of your nose, your breadth, your width, your length, was given to you, your race, your culture was given to you as a gift of God so that you could be a blessing to the nations under him. It was not given to you to make you feel bad or so that you could change it. It was given to you. It was integrated into the purpose that God had for you. Personhood and purpose are key to understanding what God has for us sexually. Let us be those that come before our Father and hum in humility, understanding what He has for us and understanding what we want to be for our husband or wife. I say this often to, to people. You know that when you sleep with your girlfriend that is not your wife, you're sleeping with another man's wife. Because if you don't marry her, she's going to get married to somebody else and you've just slept with another man's wife. Ah, conquered. Except when it happens to you. And you know you're now married to somebody that slept that way around. Ah, until it's your daughter, then it matters. Until it's your wife, then it matters. The problem is we're so selfish, we're so self-absorbed, we forget about who we are and whose we are, and we forget about the purpose and the plan that God has for us. I trust this has been a good, just, I know there's been lots of facts and science and stuff, and, but I really felt we needed to set the scene so that when we talk about sexuality, when we talk about these things, we understand it's got to do with personhood. God's put us together in a certain way. And you can't separate those parts because you get defiled, you get hurt, you get broken, you get bruised. And that God's got a purpose for you. This is not rules and regulations. Morality is a worldview. My worldview is this, is that when we were created, God had a plan and purpose for me. And he created me at exactly the right time, given to the right parents, in the right city, at the right time to fulfill the purpose that God had needed done in that time, together with all the saints. It's not, it's not random. It's not natural selection. It's not just random things throwing itself together. There's plan and purpose behind everything that God does. Any questions? Any questions? Bit heavy, eh? Sorry, guys. Everybody's a bit quiet.
Doesn't have to be questions. Slido is there. Can we just, can we stand? Let's, let's just pray. Nick, do you want to come and maybe pray for us or just...